This week, I, uh, I was reading about a, a lady that turned 104 years old. And there was a reporter who was interviewing her, and he asked her, he says, well, what's the best thing about being 104 years old? She looked at the reporter, and she said, well, there's no more peer pressure. And I guess that is one of the ways that you could avoid peer pressure, right? You just outlive all your peers. But for most of us, we probably aren't going to do that, or, you know, at least at this point in our lives, we haven't done that right. And so we do have to deal with peer pressure in our lives. And sometimes that peer pressure can be really good, and sometimes it can be not so good. So this morning, as we continue in our study of the book of Proverbs, we're going to be talking about what the book of Proverbs has to teach us about how we can deal with peer pressure in a really effective way in our lives. And it's not just kids that deal with peer pressure, right? We, we have peer pressure. I mean, if you're in school, if you're in elementary school, if you're in junior high, if you're in high school, if you're in college, you're going to have peer pressure. If you're an adult, you have peer pressure, whether you recognize it or not. And so this is a really important passage, I think, that's going to help us to understand how do we, how do we deal with that in an effective way. Now, you remember that last week we began our study in the book of Proverbs. We looked at the first seven verses. And those first seven verses kind of set the stage, really, for the entire book, and especially verse 7. We got to verse 7, and we said, that's like the theme statement for the entire book of Proverbs. And there we learned that there's really two different ways that we can live our lives. We can be wise, and we can align our lives with God. We can say, God, you're God. I'm going to follow you, and that's a wise way to live. Or we can say, I'll be a fool, and I'll be my own God. I'll live my life my own way. And we have to make a choice. Those are really the two ways that we can live our lives. And and the rest of the book of Proverbs is going to deal with those things. And this morning we come to the the second section now. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 1, going all the way through the end of chapter 9, we find 12 different poems there. And they kind of set the stage for the the part of the Proverbs that most of us are probably familiar with. You know, those little sayings that, that give us wisdom about how we're to live our lives. And in a lot of these poems, Solomon is speaking to his son and passing on this wisdom and, 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 and exhorting him to live a wise life in which he lets God be God and, and not try to be God himself. And so that's what we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to pick up in, uh, in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out, and you can read along and follow along as I read this morning beginning in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like shale, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, this is the first of, I think there's about 22 times 
in, uh, in the book of Proverbs where Solomon is going to come and he's going to teach his son. And probably it was his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam was his oldest son. But if you read the, the, the accounts in the scriptures about Rehoboam, you'll re- realize pretty quickly that, that, frankly, Rehoboam probably didn't listen to his dad very well. He wasn't a very wise guy. And so there's an important lesson for us, I think, in that, that we do need to listen to this. And, and this passage is really relevant for all of us. Unless you're 104 years old or older, this passage is relevant for you because you're going to face peer pressure, and this passage is going to help us to deal with that. Now, before I, I kind of get into this, I think it's important to point out that there is such a thing as good peer pressure, right? I mean, there are friends that, that encourage us to do the right things. I would even go so far to say that one of the functions of the church is to have positive peer pressure in all of our lives, right? That we want to encourage each other. As, as Ryan preached about a few weeks ago in, in Hebrews chapter 10, we want to stir each other up to good works and encourage one another. That's positive peer pressure. That's a good thing. But this passage obviously deals more with negative peer pressure. And and here's the main idea that I want us to develop today, how we deal with that, that I overcome peer pressure by living to please God instead of living to please people. That's really what this passage is all about. If I want to overcome that, I've got to quit thinking about all the things that other people are going to think about me. I've got to quit trying to please them, and I have to go ahead and make sure that I'm pleasing God with my life. And so I want to kind of talk about two things that are going to be very practical to help us to understand how to do that. The first thing I want to talk about is I want to help us to understand how to figure out when someone is pulling my strings. And then the second thing I want to talk about is how do we really deal with this peer pressure when someone is pulling our strings. Now, you guys all know how a puppet works, right? There's a puppeteer and and the puppet is hanging down on the strings, and the puppeteer is kind of making the, the puppet do its own thing. And there are probably some times in your life when you feel like maybe you're that puppet on the string, right, that someone else is kind of pulling the strings. And as we talked about last week, that could obviously be a, a really good thing at times. When you're young, you want your parents to be pulling the strings because you're not smart enough to do it on your own. And that's how they protect you. That's how they watch over you. That's how they provide for you. And so, so we want someone. But, but as we grow and mature, we don't want to feel like that, right? We want to feel like we're in control of our own lives. But here's the problem. Sometimes there are other people who are acting like that puppeteer who are pulling on our strings, and we don't even notice it. And so what I want to share with you this morning are three ways or three things that we can look for that will help us to determine when someone else is pulling our strings. And each one of these start with the letter H. And these aren't going to be any new revelation to you. I think you probably already know all these. But I think it's probably a good reminder, and it will help us to ask some of the right questions when we're dealing with this peer pressure to find out if someone really is pulling our strings. The first H word is the word hide. Hide. And we see this here in, in verse 11. We see this whole idea of hiding. Here's what it says in verse 11. It says, if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait. What what are they doing? They're hiding. Let us ambush the innocent. What do they do? They're hiding. They're not doing all this stuff out in the open. They're not asking you to do it out in the open. They're asking you to, to hide something from someone else. And almost always when someone's trying to exert negative peer pressure, when they're trying to 
to, to pull your strings, what they're doing is they're going to ask you to hide something from someone, right? Kids, they, they might ask you to hide something from your parents or from your teachers at school. For us as adults, when we get to our job, maybe our boss asks us to hide something from a customer. Or maybe another, maybe another employee asks us to hide something from the boss, right? Or maybe someone will do something like this. Have you ever run in this situation? Well, here's this juicy bit of gossip about the other person, but don't tell them where you heard it. What are they doing? They're asking us to hide something. And almost every time that someone's asking us to hide something else, they're pulling our strings and they're trying to exert some negative peer pressure on us. That ought to be the first clue. In the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, we often see this contrast between darkness and light. And one of the, one of the functions of light is to expose sin. We see this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes this, but anything exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And that's, that's the purpose of, of light. That's the purpose of God coming in, shining his light into our life, is to reveal sin. So when we have this tendency to want to hide it, we know that's not right. And when we hide things, what do we do? We, we harm ourselves, we damage our relationship with God, and we damage our relationship with other people. So the first question I need to ask when someone comes to me and tries to exert some pressure in my life is, is this, are they asking me to hide something? The second H word is this, hurt. And in this passage, it's really clear. He's, they're asking this guy to come along and hurt someone else, physically hurt him in this case, even to the point of death. So, so that's really obvious, isn't it? I think we all know that, that it's not right to physically hurt someone else, especially to bring them to the point of death. But, you know, there's a lot of other ways that we can hurt people, too, that don't just involve physical hurt, right? We can spread gossip and we can hurt their reputation. We can, we can make fun of other people, especially at school, kids. You guys make know that some of your, your friends, they make fun of other people. What does it do? It hurts them emotionally. In our jobs, we can do things that, that hurt people financially sometimes. And so, so if we're asked to do something that's going to hurt someone else, we need to recognize that, that there's some negative peer pressure there. The third H word is, is the word have. And what I'm talking about here is this, this idea of having something that doesn't really belong to me. And we see that really clearly here in Proverbs. In this next verse we're going to look at here. Verse 13 says, We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Here's the idea they're saying, hey, come along with us. We're going to get some stuff that really doesn't belong to us, but it's going to make us richer. And again, sometimes people are going to pressure us. They're going to, they're going to say, here's something that you can have if you'll just go along with me. And we know really deep down in our heart that it's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we've worked for. And we see those kind of, we see those kind of temptations all around us in the world, don't we? You have all kinds of get-rich-quick schemes out there. I mean, everything from the lottery to, to, to gambling to some, kind, some of these pyramid schemes where people are asking you, saying, you know, if you just go along with this, you can get something rich. You can buy some nice, shiny stuff. And you can have lots of money if you'll just go along with it. 
it even it, it, this idea even extends to our relationships too. I mean, sometimes in a relationship, we wanna we wanna have the other person. We wanna have something that will make us feel good, and so we can exploit the other person for our own physical pleasure. And that's getting something that we don't deserve, something that that we shouldn't have. That's like sex outside of marriage. It's something that that shouldn't we shouldn't have. And if someone else is gonna come up to us and say, hey, if you just go along with us, you're going to get these things that will make you feel really good. You need to be aware of that. So when someone comes along and they try to put pressure on you, you always want to ask those three questions. Are they asking me to hide something? Is this going to hurt someone in some way? Or is this going to give me something that I really don't deserve, that I'm going to have something that I don't deserve? So those are some ways to know it. So So once I recognize that, now what do I do? Because that's the real question, right? What do I do when I recognize that? So here's the answer. Here's here's how we need to respond to negative peer pressure. There's really kind of an overall principle here, and then there's some some kind of four ideas that will help us do. The overall idea is found in verse 11. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It says, my son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. Don't do it. I mean, that seems pretty simple, right? But how do we really do that? I mean, it's not just a matter of, of just saying no sometimes. That, that by itself isn't effective. But here's the good news. In this passage, we have four other commands other than this one right here, four other commands that are going to tell us how we can kind of do that. How, how can we really make sure that we don't consent? Two of them are things that we need to do long before the temptation comes along. And the other two are things that when the temptation comes along, when someone else tries to entice us, some things that we can do. So let's look at the first two. The first two tell us here's some things you need to do before the temptation comes along, before the enticement comes along. Number one, know God's heart. You need to know God's heart. And we see this really clearly here, don't we, in verse 8. What does he say? He says, hear your father's instruction. But whose instruction is it really here? Not just his father's, it's God's instruction. It's it's the instruction that's coming from God through Solomon to his son. And he says to his son, I want you to hear that instruction. But, But the word here is a really important word here. It's a word that means to really listen carefully to something with the idea that we're going to act based on that. In other words, we don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. We really, really listen to it. We really hear it. That's why in a bunch of places in the Old Testament, that very same Hebrew word is actually translated obey. Because it is this idea of hearing so that we can can obey God. And that's what he says. He says, you need to do that. You need to, you need to listen to this instruction. You need to begin to, to, to develop a heart for God. And how do we do that today? We do that primarily through God's Word. That's where we hear God's heart. That's why we always tell you, the, stress the importance of reading God's Word on a regular basis. Not just because we want to be a broken record, but, but because we want you to really understand God's heart. Until you do that, you're going to have a hard time doing what we said at the beginning, which is what? Pleasing God and not trying to please people. But how do you please God unless you know his heart? So you have to know his heart. The second thing that we have to do here is to make sure that we decide ahead of time to follow God. 
that we don't wait till till the situation is on us. We we decide ahead of time to follow a God. In my opinion, there are far too many people out there who call themselves Christians who have this kind of mindset. Well, I'll read the Bible, and I'll listen to what God says, and then I'll decide if I'm going to go ahead and follow what I find there. I'll decide then if it's going to be comfortable for me to go along and do that. And there's churches that do that too. Unfortunately, in our culture, there's a lot of churches who have decided that it's a lot easier just to go along with the culture than to stand for the biblical principles that are there. And part of that, I think, is because they haven't decided ahead of time, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do whatever the Bible says, regardless of what our culture does. So we need to do this individually, and we need to do it corporately as well. And again, we see that in verse 8, the second part of verse 8. Where Solomon writes this, he says, forsake not your mother's teaching. And again, it's not really just the mother's teaching. It's God's teaching coming through the mother. You know how I know that here? That word that's translated teaching there, it's the Hebrew word Torah. Does that sound familiar? That's the Hebrew word for the first five books of the Scripture. So what it's really saying is don't forsake your mother when she's teaching the Scriptures. And this idea of forsaking means to to leave something behind. And so what they're basically saying is don't leave God's Word behind. You need to remember God's Word, and you need to act on it accordingly. Even if nobody else sees you, you're going to do that. That you're going to not forsake God's teaching. In other words, you're going to decide ahead of time that whatever I find in God's Word, I will be obedient to it. I'll do that even if it's uncomfortable. I'll do that even if it, if it goes against the culture because I want to please God and not please other people. Probably one of the best examples we see of this in the Scripture is in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and some of the other apostles, they're preaching the gospel. They're in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jewish leaders come to them and say, Hey, look, you guys can't do that. We're going to put you in prison. But an angel comes to them in the middle of the night, releases them from prison, and what do they do? First thing they do, go right back to the temple, and they start preaching the gospel again. And the religious leaders come up to them and say, look, didn't you guys get the message? We told you don't do that. And here's what, how Peter and the apostles answered. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Now, I know that Peter and the apostles, I know that they were, that they were just, emboldened by the Holy Spirit to do that. I know they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that, but I really have to believe in my heart of hearts that they had decided before they ever entered that temple that no matter what happens, we're going to be obedient to God. We'll, We'll take whatever consequences come from that, and that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to say, God, no matter what, I will be obedient to you, and I need to make up my mind before the temptation ever comes, before those those friends come and try to entice me to do something wrong, that I'm going to do that. So those are the things we have to do ahead of time. And frankly, if we haven't done those, we won't be able to do the last two steps that we find here. These are the things that we do when that temptation comes along, when that peer pressure comes along. Here's what we do. Number one, sometimes, almost always, you have to find some new friends to find some new friends. That's not an easy thing to do, is it? 
And we see this, there's these two commands in verse 15 that lead us to these last two principles. Here's, here's the first part of verse 15. It says, do not walk in the way with them. So it's focusing on the other people. It's saying, you know what, sometimes you just, you have to, you have to find some new friends. You can't even walk with those, those people anymore. The same message is really we find at the beginning of Psalms. In Psalm verses, uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, he doesn't hang around with wicked people, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the way of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And guess what? There's going to be some people in your life, some influences in your life, who may come along, and they're going to draw you away from God, and they're going to keep you from delighting in God. They're going to keep you from trying to follow His ways. They're going to try to entice you into sin. And a lot of times what we have to do is we just have to get away from those people, at least for a season. Sometimes it's not a permanent thing, but at least for a season we need to find some new friends sometimes. Kids, if if you're at school and some of your friends are are doing things that are wrong. They're making fun of other kids. They're in school and ridiculing them and hurting them with their words. Then sometimes maybe you need to find some other friends. I know some of the kids, I know for a fact that some of you kids that are here this morning and some of you might be watching online, that you've done that before. When you found friends that are causing you to to draw away from God, that you've said, hey, I'm going to find some new friends, and that's a great thing to do. Sometimes in your job, Maybe you have to find a new job. If your boss is asking you to to do some things that are wrong, maybe you have to find a new job or maybe at least find another position where you're reporting to another boss. (coughs) Excuse me. If someone's in, 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 you know, gossiping, going around gossiping all the time and trying to get you and draw you into it, you might just have to find some other friends that aren't going to do that sometimes. So sometimes you just have to do it. You have to find some other people to hang out with you that can be those positive role models and get away from the negative ones. They're going to draw you away from God. There's a second thing. It's really related to this first one, but it's a little bit different, and that is that we have to avoid these tempting situations. First one focuses more on the people. This one focuses more on the, the situations that we get into. And we see this in the second part of verse 15 that says this. Hold back your foot from their paths. Their paths, the way they operate in their life, the places that they go, the things that they do, the activities that they get involved in. That sometimes we have to, we have to pull ourselves away from those tempting situations. Now, I can't give you an exhaustive list here. But let me just give you a few examples that might help you to understand how this works. Here, here's a really obvious one. I mean, if, you're, if you struggle with alcohol addiction, don't hang out at a bar. Don't go to a party where the whole purpose of the party is for people to drink a bunch and get drunk. That's just not a good situation for you to be in. If, you, if you're at work, and your company is doing business in an unscrupulous way, you probably need to find another job, even if you're not part of that, even if you're not directly involved because you're part of that company that's doing it. You might just need to get out of that situation completely. It's school. 
You know, if you're hanging out at a lunch table where they're they're making fun of other kids and they're and, and they're grabbing their lunch from them and all that, you might just need to move to another table. Or if you see another kid in your classroom that's cheating, sometimes you just may hey teacher, could you just move me to another part of the room where I'm going to get away from that person and out of that situation. So there's all kinds of things, but the main idea is to make sure that we don't put ourselves in situations where that peer pressure is likely to cause us to walk away from God. So we've seen this morning that I overcome peer pressure by living to please God rather than living to please people. That's an easy thing to say. Not so easy to do sometimes. But like I said earlier, I think this message is relevant for every single one of us unless you're over 104 this morning. So I don't think anyone quite there. There's a few of you getting close, right? But nobody's quite there yet. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about some questions this morning and honestly and prayerfully answer them. In just a moment, I'm going to actually give you a few moments just to pray over these and to think about them some more. I want to encourage you to do that this week and, and to really be honest with these and then respond as you need to. Here's the first question that I want you to ask. Am I intentionally, and the word intentionally is important here, seeking to know God's heart through his word? If you're not already reading through the Bible on a consistent basis, we invite you. We have a Bible reading plan that we read the Bible together as a church. That plan doesn't work. Find another one. I'll be happy to help you find a plan. The main thing is that you're doing it on a regular, consistent basis. If you're already doing that, then fantastic. Just keep doing it. And as, I, as I've shared before, one of the things that you want to do as you're reading God's Word is ask God to show you His heart as you're reading His Word. Don't just read it like... You're reading literature or something. You really want to get to know God's heart there. So do that. Question number two. Have I made a firm commitment to please God even when I don't understand or even when it's difficult? Have you said to God, God, it is my absolute desire to please you in everything that I do. I I want to obey you even if I don't understand totally. I want to obey you even if it puts me in a difficult situation. Now, are any of us ever going to do that perfectly? Obviously not. Obviously not. But have you made that commitment? Is that the desire of your heart? If not, will you do that today? Number three, third question that you want to ask. Do I need to find some new friends? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But are are you consistently finding that some of your friends are pulling you in the wrong direction? Are they pulling you away from God rather than encouraging you in your walk with God? If that's the case... You may need to, at least for a season, to find some new friends. Finally, the fourth question. Am I putting myself in tempting situations that I need to avoid? Whatever that might be. That could be a lot of different things. It's different for each one of us. Something that might be a temptation for you might not be a temptation for me. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you like two to three minutes just to pray over those things. Those questions are listed in your bulletin. You can look at them there. And just to ask God to show you his heart over those things. So would you go ahead and bow your heads and just do that for a few moments here.
Father, I know that for all of us, peer pressure is all around us. And Father, we want to handle that in a way that would be honoring to you. We do want to please you, not please man. So my prayer for all of us is as we consider these questions that you would help us to answer them honestly, and then you would help us to take whatever action we need to to make sure that we're doing those things, Father. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to encourage you. There's a place on your sermon outline. Write down those things that that God puts on your heart. Now, I know sometimes that pleasing God Rather than pleasing men, it it seems like the hardest thing to do. And I'll be real honest, sometimes pleasing men rather than pleasing God, it's it's the most profitable thing in the short term, right? Sometimes. Sometimes you'll make more money if you if you don't fall if you please men rather than God. Sometimes you get some shiny new things. But I'm here to tell you that won't last for eternity. Those things are going to be short lived. And at the very end of this passage, there's a sober warning. For all of us in verse 19. Here's what it says in verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You know what that's saying? It's saying it might seem really great in the short term, all those things you're doing, but in the end it's going to suck the life out of you. And I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for any of you. So even though it might be difficult in the short run, I pray that in your life you would live to please God and not to please men. And that you would do everything that you can to do that because it's the best thing for you personally. It's the best thing for your family. It's the best thing for your school. It's the best thing for our church. And it's the best thing for our world. It's not easy, but it is worth it. So I pray that you'll join the rest of us here at Thornydale Family Church to to work to put these principles into practice. Thanks for joining us this morning. So glad that you've joined us. We are here to help you with any things. If there's